You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. So, this year, we've been working our way through the Bible. And what we've been doing, and I know kids have been doing this too, haven't you? We have been discovering how the Bible is one big story that's all about Jesus. And we've been going through a series called God's Story, because that's what God's Story is all about, Jesus. And today, what I wanted to do was actually take a continue in God's Story by diving in to the third book of the Bible, the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Uh, Any sighs there? No, I didn't hear any. That's good. (laughs) Before I go any further, I want to acknowledge what I think we're likely, anyone who's read it before, are probably thinking. Leviticus is tough going. Leviticus is a tough, confronting, and if we're honest, a hard to understand part of the Bible. This is how Leviticus has traditionally been viewed, and this is perhaps how many of us view it right now. I know I've made the joke many times before, those of you who've been here a while, I encourage you that if you're struggling to sleep at night, Leviticus should be top of your list because you only really need to read a few verses and you'll be in the land of Z's in no time. It's, it is really tough going. So, you know, all jokes aside, it is. It's tough. And I just want to acknowledge that at the start today. Because we read it and we see all these, these rules, these regulations and pretty extreme requirements for people to abide by and we find it confronting. We sometimes, maybe this is how you see it, we actually find it outright offensive. And because of this, the natural sort of flow on is that often we wonder why it is we should even bother with Leviticus today. I know this, and if you've read Leviticus, you'd likely recognise this too. So today what I want to do is actually just want to have a conversation and see if we together, as we're led by God's Spirit this morning, can let this book and the character and purposes of God actually come alive through Leviticus to us this morning. Because, believe it or not, Leviticus is actually the perfect book in the Bible to reflect on in, on Good Friday. So let's pray as we open Leviticus and let's just invite Holy Spirit to speak to us, speak to our hearts as we celebrate Jesus today. Holy Spirit, we want to praise you. We are just in awe of what you've done. Jesus, we are in awe of you. We reflect and we remember the great lengths you went to to pay the price for our sin and set us free. And God, today we pray that as we open your word, as we dive into Leviticus, God, we just pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and bring deep revelation of who you are and your characters and your purposes. But beyond that, God, that you would bring revelation of yourself to our hearts. Because God, we're not transformed by Knowing stuff, we're transformed by relationship with you. 
So God, do that work in us today, we pray on this Good Friday. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, Leviticus is, if you've read it before, you'd know it's a book, chock-a-block, chock-a-block, that's a very Aussie term, chock-a-block full of rules and regulations and sacrifices. But have you ever taken the time to, to just take a step back and actually look at it as a whole and kind of think about what's actually at the heart of Leviticus? What's it actually all about? I'm going to sum up 27 whole chapters in one line. So you ready? (laughs) To put it very simply, Leviticus is a book that outlines how sinful humanity can come near to a holy God. Leviticus is a book that outlines how sinful humanity can come near to a holy God. For those of you who've been on the journey, you'd know that we've been reflecting on the reality that God is and always has been a God who desires relationship with mankind, with us, with you, with me. And Leviticus outlines different practices that God instituted back in those days so that sinful humanity could enter into his presence and enjoy covenant relationship with him, intimate, beautiful united, mutual relationship with a holy God. And over 27 chapters, I'm not going to share them today, so don't worry, but Leviticus goes into five different types of offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, and trespass or guilt offerings. You can read that in your own time to see. But if we take a step back and look at what these are all for, All of these requirements are given by God to make a way for sinful humanity, for us, to enter into God's presence and enjoy covenant relationship with him, with a holy God. Now, I've said that word holy a fair few times now, and holiness is a central theme in Leviticus. So what is holy? What does it mean to be holy? A really simple way of thinking of holy simply means to be set apart, to be set apart. Uh, Don Stewart, he's an apologist and a writer, he says, the idea behind the concept of holiness is separation. It comes from a word meaning to separate or cut off. God is separate or cut off from everything that is sinful and evil. He cannot tolerate sin. So God at his very core of his character, he's perfect. He is holy. He is completely sinless. And he can't come close to anything that's impure. And that means God can't come close to any of us, any human being. Not even Moses. If you, if you look here in Leviticus, not even Moses, God's chosen leader for Israel at the time, he wasn't perfect, but he was, a, he was a good kind of guy, even he could not be in God's presence. And if you read the very first words, the very first verse of Leviticus 1.1, it highlights this. It says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying... Do you see that? God spoke to Moses from the tent. 
God's holy presence resided in what they called this, this special place called a tabernacle, in this tent. But Moses couldn't even go into that place to be close to God because God was holy and Moses was not. So God related to Moses from the tent from a distance. There was separation there. Does that make sense? But there's more to this idea of holiness and the Bible Project, which is a great resource if you're wanting to learn more about the Bible and God's story. They've created a video called Holiness, funnily enough, and they use this this really powerful metaphor to not only kind of describe what holiness is, but also to explain why it is that sinful human beings can't come near to a holy God. So let's take a look at a part of their video now. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right.
That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. So sinful, impure people can't come near to a holy God. God is pure, he's set apart, he is holy in its fullest sense. And he cannot be in relationship with sin, with impurity. And yet, here's the, here's the big thing that Good Friday is really all about. And yet, he longs to be reconciled to his people. That's his heart. He can't be in relationship with sin. He can't be in relationship with anything that does not measure up to his complete perfection, his standards, and yet he longs to be reconciled with us. His heart is for people to be holy, like him. And it's summed up, it's, it's mentioned throughout Leviticus, but I'll just point us to Leviticus 19, chapter, verse 2, where it says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So God, God longs for us any human, to be holy. That's what it needs to happen in order for man to be close to God. So what does he do? What do we see in Leviticus all these years ago? He makes a way for them to be not only morally pure, but ritually pure, so they can come close to him. Does that make sense? You know, this is God's heart behind everything in Leviticus, all the rules and all the rituals and all the sacrifices that are just so foreign to our brains in our modern day society were given to the nation of Israel for their good, for their good, to help them to live in right relationship with God and to actually be able to not be, be interact with God from a distance like Moses in Leviticus 1.1, but to actually be able to enter in and to enjoy deep and rich personal relationship with their perfect, holy creator. I'd never picked up on this until I dug into this recently. In the very first verses of the next book in the Bible, the book of Numbers, we see that all of this actually worked. Leviticus actually worked. Let's read Numbers 1.1. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, where? In the tent of meeting. Not from the tent, from a distance, not separated, but together in the tent. Keeping the law, keeping these requirements allowed man to live in intimate relationship with God. As Tim Mackey, the guy uh, the voiceover on the, that video before says, he says, despite Israel's failure, God provided a way for their sin to be covered so God could live with sinful people in peace. Now, here's the problem with all this. The peace man experienced with God through keeping the law, keeping these sacrifices, was only ever temporary. Why? Because... Mankind continued in this horrible pattern. They continued to do the right thing and follow God and be made right with God and enjoy relationship with him. And then they chose again to rebel and sin against God, going their own way. And the Bible says, and, and maybe some of you know this to be true from experience, 
when we sin, our sin actually separates us from God. And so then they had to do it all over again in order to be back in right relationship with him. You know, the law needed to be kept perfectly for man to remain in right relationship with God. And guess what? Newsflash, no man was perfect. I'm certainly far from perfect. And there was no man. There's never has been any man who has been perfect besides one. And ongoing relationship and peace with God was just not possible until the perfect man entered earth. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully divine, and yet fully man. The perfect sacrifice. The saviour who, when John the Baptist saw him, it's recorded in, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he rightly saw him, and as soon as he saw him, he said, I declare you to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Even in that moment, as his eyes locked on him, he saw him for who he really was, the Saviour. And what we celebrate each and every Easter is the remarkable reality that Jesus came to earth not to like do away with the law and all its requirements, but actually to fulfill it, to finish it once and for all. And he did so perfectly. All the holy standards and rituals and requirements of the law that we see in Leviticus, Jesus kept perfectly. You know, Jesus lived the perfect sinless life and he fulfilled all those moral requirements. And, and this is at the heart of what we remember and reflect on each and every Good Friday, Jesus also fulfilled all the ceremonial laws once and for all when he died on the cross as the perfect sin offering, the perfect offering for mankind's sin. What man, we see this all through God's story, What, especially all these Old Testament chapters, the Torah, the first five, chap, five chapters of the Bible, we see that what mankind could never do perfectly, Jesus came to earth. And did perfectly for us. Jesus' sacrifice made the way possible for sinful humanity to enter in to God's own presence and enjoy covenant relationship with Him. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross made the option for people to be holy so they could come and dwell with the Holy God forever. And here's the thing, you know, Jesus' sacrifice made the way for us to approach God really simple, super simple. Unlike in the days long ago in Leviticus, which we can read about in the Bible, we don't need to go somewhere to do anything or we don't need to have priests, we don't have to go to a priest with something as an offering for our sin or to make us pure in God's sight like they did back then, we simply need to place our faith in Jesus 
and trust, trust that he has paid in full the price for our sins once and for all. You know, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul describes Jesus as being the great high priest. In other words, he is the, the priest of all priests. He is the one that, unlike those who had to do these things over and over again to make us right and holy, Jesus did it once when he died on this cross for you and I to make us right with God. And this is how easy Jesus has made it. Jesus just invites us to take him at his word. Take him at his word when he says that his sin-defeating work is actually finished. Yeah? John 19.30, his last final words on the cross, he said, It is finished. I have come, I have achieved what I set out to do. Sin is dealt with. I have fulfilled it. It is finished. Jesus' work on this cross dealt with sin once and for all. And Jesus' death opens up the way for any person, for you, for me. And maybe if you're here or you're with us watching online and you're kind of, you're wondering about faith, you've been seeking for spiritual truth, you're on a bit of a journey seeing what, what is this life all about? Is there meaning? Is there anything greater than me? Can I tell you today, friends, this includes you. Jesus has made the way for you to find forgiveness for your sins and to be made right and reconciled into relationship with a holy and perfect God. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 3, 23 to 24, explains this really clearly. Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've all sinned. We all fall short. None of us can just waltz into God's presence and be close to him. But Jesus, if we choose to place our faith in Jesus Christ, if we choose to open our hearts to receive him as the free gift that God sent to earth for our good, we can be justified and come into relationship with him. And the moment we do that, God sees us not for our sin, but God sees us as a son or a daughter of his, a holy person in his sight. Praise be to God. You know, this is what we remember and celebrate on Good Friday. Israel couldn't, we can't, but Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus willingly came to earth to die. That was why he came. He came to earth to die for us and to pay the price for every single woman, man and child in full, once and for all. This is what Jesus has done. And I guess the question is, how will we respond in light of what Jesus 
has done. Will we, knowing all of this, will we receive Jesus' incredible gift of grace? Or will we maintain the distance, keep the separation there, and refuse to draw near and actually surrender our hearts and our very lives to Jesus? Friends, God has made the way. And Jesus, Jesus is the way. And Jesus himself, he made this clear when he said these words recorded in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, this is, this is exclusive, isn't it? It's a pretty big statement. He's saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one